listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. This morning's passage um, gives us commands and teaches us uh, how to relate to one another in the church. Uh, It teaches us about um, church, meaningful church membership. Um, about what it means to belong to each other, the commitments that we make to each other. Um, and, and so with that, we um, if you've been around Sojourn for any amount of time, you probably have recognized that we at Sojourn take church membership very seriously. Um, before you, you can become a member at Sojourn Montrose, uh, you, you take a class where you hear all about what we believe, um, what our mission and vision is, what it looks like to belong at Sojourn. And, and then before anybody becomes a member, we give a list of responsibilities and commitments that, that our church leaders make to the congregation. Th- these are the things that we're going to do uh, to be leading the church. These are things that you can reasonably expect from us. And then we give a li- list of responsibilities and, and expectations of members, of, of this is what it means to belong here. These are, are the ways that we expect you to serve and to care for your brothers and sisters. And, and, and the reason that we take church membership seriously is because of passages like this one that we're reading today. The New Testament calls Christians to brotherly love, to belonging to one another as God's family on earth, and a commitment to one another for the sake of our souls and for the sake of the mission of the church. And so brotherly love is applied and fostered within meaningful commitment to a local church. And so as we prepare to talk about that, let's pray and then let's ask God Um, to teach us together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, being faithful to us. Pray that this morning as we come to you, that you would teach us more and more what it means to serve you faithfully, to serve uh, our brothers and sisters in the faith Faithfully, would you give us humility and love and steadfastness and patience toward one another? I pray that you would allow our brotherly love and our commitment to one another to be a witness to each other of your love for us and a witness to our neighbors of your love for them that is available to them in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this week's passage is relatively short, and it can be broken down into really two sections. Um, The first section is, how should Christians or church members relate to their leaders and vice versa? And and when I say leaders, um, I'm going to use that term a lot. And what I mean by that are pastors, deacons, and other men and women who have some amount of leadership and authority within the context of the local church. But at Sojourn Montrose, that primarily works itself out in in pastors or elders. We use those terms synonymously, and deacons. Um, And and if you're wondering, who are the deacons here? Your parish leaders are deacons. Um, That's the primary role for which we ordain deacons, is all of the parish leaders, both the men and women, are ordained as deacons. So how should church members relate to their leaders, and how should church members relate to one another? 
How should church members relate to their leaders? And how should church members relate to one another? Uh, But it can also be broken down in a different way that I think is helpful, given the specifics of the text. How, How should Christians relate to those who are an obvious benefit to their lives, their souls, and their growth? And how should we relate to those who are seemingly a drag on our lives, our souls, and our growth? And I bring up that dichotomy because I think we are in a day and age where as Christians, to some level, we have been taught that we should find a church that best suits our needs, where we feel fed and taught and encouraged, that best meets all of the desires that we have for the church. But really, this passage is asking us to flip that upside down to to seek first how we can serve one another, how we can serve in the church. So let's begin with verses 12 and 13. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So, I have this awkward um, situation here where I, as one of the leaders of this congregation, have to tell you to respect me and to respect the other leaders of this congregation. It's not something I, I, I was excited to do. It's not something that makes me feel extremely comfortable or confident in asking that, that you would respect your leaders. But here we are. This is what God's word is for us this morning. God's wisdom for the church is that respect and honor for leaders is an important part of our life together. It's an important part of our life together. One, for the sake of our souls, that we would be humble in posture and and patient in posture toward those who, who are over us. And for the sake of the organization of the church. For organizations fall apart when leadership is constantly rebelled against or called into question. But this call to respecting and esteeming leaders is not based upon simple hierarchy. It's not, just, it's not just the military where it's like, well, these are the commanders, and so you do what they say. It's based upon this relationship between the leaders of a congregation and, and, and the members of the congregation and each of their respective roles within it. And, and this is kind of consistent for Paul, even in other areas. If you read Ephesians 5, which is a famous passage in Paul about uh, about marriage, and, and he calls wives to submit to their husbands, and then immediately following, he calls husbands to lay down their lives for the sake of their wives. And so there's this expectation of submission and honor and esteem given to those who lead, and an expectation because of the gospel that those who lead would be servant-hearted, that they would be humble, that they would lay down their lives for those that they lead. And so this is the expectation within the church, too. Uh, pastors, deacons are called in this passage to labor, to work. They're called to exercise authority and leadership, and they're called to admonish. And so pastors and deacons and other leaders in the church, um, which, which as we mentioned at Sojourn is primarily elders and deacons, should be laboring faithfully for Christ in the ministry of the gospel. Lazy leaders aren't respectable leaders. And, and so if you're a leader in the room, work, for God has called you to it. Work for the sake of your people. He has called you to it. Leaders are called to exercise authority and lead. Paul refers to this when he says, respect and honor those who are over you. So leaders need to be giving direction to the church. They need to be exercising some amount of authority. And so the way that works out 
at Sojourn is the elders are responsible for the doctrine of the church, for, for the teaching in the church, for proclaiming God's truth in the church. We're responsible for overseeing the discipline of the church. So, so calling one another to the standards that God ha- has invited us to, and we're called to oversee the direction of the church, making decisions for how it is that we will accomplish the things that God has called us to. Our leaders, as, as should all leaders of all churches, are are evaluated according to the qualification for the offices of elder and deacon as outlined in the Bible. Specifically, 1 Timothy and Titus have these extended passages on on what are the qualifications, almost all character qualifications, uh, for those who would lead in the church. And at Sojourn Montrose, we take this seriously. All of the men and women who lead at Sojourn Montrose have been evaluated according to their character, their conduct, and their gifting so that we can entrust them with the roles that they've been given within the church because they're serious roles. Christian leadership is servant leadership. It's humble leadership. And it's faithful leadership. In other words, the pastors and deacons in our congregation should be worthy of imitation. Paul has this famous passage where he, he tells the church that they should follow him as he follows Christ. And this should be true of all Christian leaders. That we could say to those who we lead, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not to say, follow me because I'm perfect like Christ, but it's follow me because I'm pursuing faithfulness. And so if you're a leader in the room, whether you're an elder or or a deacon, or whether you just have some sort of uh, role of leadership even among your peers, would you live a life worthy of imitation, faithful to the Lord in all that you do? The final thing leaders are called to do is admonish. The word admonish isn't one that, that we use a lot, but this, this Greek word means to exhort or to warn, to call to a higher standard. It's a moral term. In a very literal sense, the word breaks down to, to translate to put something into someone's mind, which, which made me think about when I was a kid and if I was out of line, sometimes my mom would look at me seriously and she would offer to give me an understanding. Anybody ever have, them, have somebody give you an understanding? That is admonishment. The leaders of the church are called to keep watch over the souls of God's people. This is a weighty role, and admonishment is part of that ministry. Part of the ministry of leadership in the church is to look at brothers and sisters in the eye and say, Christ has called you to more. He has called you to more. But admonishment is not fun. Um, I'm pretty sure I can speak for all the leaders in our congregation that this is not the part of leadership that we most look forward to. Is, are these moments where we have to look at our brothers and sisters, our friends, and, and ask them to repent, to call them to a higher standard, to, to call them to lean in. But we take seriously the reality that we are called as Christians to submit ourselves to God as living sacrifices and, as Romans 12 says, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we may know what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so if we are called to the renewal of our minds at some point or another, somebody might need to give us an understanding to help our minds in renewal. 
Admonishment concerns moral warnings and exhortation. And because of this, faithful admonishment must be rooted in the word of God. Faithful admonishment must be rooted in the word of God. So Christian leaders, especially pastors, have to be knowledgeable about God's word and humble in their relationship to it. So if pastors, whether here or at any other congregation, are caught exhorting their people toward things that aren't biblical, may they be corrected quickly. If you see this, you have a duty as a Christian to bring it up, to offer correction, to say, I'm Certain that is not what the scriptures teach. And if they continue to lead the church astray with anti-Christian admonishment, Paul says in, in the beginning of this letter, may they be accursed. Sojourn Montrose, if I lead you astray, if Reed leads you astray from the pulpit, may we be accursed. May God bring judgment upon us for that. It is a weighty thing to be called to admonish the church. I would encourage you, as brothers and sisters, to know your Bibles well enough to discern the difference. Um, you, You do not know if you have faithful leaders if you don't know what faithfulness is, and the only way to learn that is from the Scriptures. Um. So the first two verses of our passage, they they would have us to understand that a healthy and biblical church has strong, faithful, and hardworking leaders who operate in biblical conviction, and it has members who respect and submit to and even think highly of those leaders. And this sort of church is an orderly church. It's a peaceful church. It's a fruitful church. But good leaders are generally easy to appreciate, right? Even in a culture where where we're taught to be skeptical toward leaders, we appreciate good leaders. But what do you do if your leaders aren't faithful? What do you do if you find yourself in a congregation or in a situation where, where your leaders aren't faithful? And that is a tricky spot to be in. There's all sorts of dynamics at play. There's a a desire to be humble and patient and and all of those things. There's often power dynamics that you're not sure how to navigate. But I would encourage you, if you are concerned that your leaders in your church are not being faithful, even if that is here, to address those concerns with your leaders, to bring it up. You, You never know what might just be a blind spot. I can speak on behalf of me and all of our elders that we have had members in our congregation come and say, you know, you, you said this or you did this, and, and I don't think that was best. And we've said, you know what, I think you're right. And we're sorry for that. Sometimes, sometimes leaders just need correction like anybody else. Um, if, if you're in a situation where you're afraid because of some sort of intimidation or threat or, or a power dynamic, you don't know how to bring something forward, you're, you're afraid that it's going to w- work out really badly for you, find someone to talk to within the church, within the organization that you feel safe. At Sojourn, you can email reporting at sojournhouston.org. And that email will go to a group of people who will make sure that that, that issue is taken seriously. Um, but first, I would encourage you to go to your leaders. Um, familiarize, familiarize yourself with Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, with 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, these passages that talk about what it looks like to walk in discipline in the church, to correct brothers and sisters when they are in the wrong. These apply to leaders as well. 
Um, and, and eventually, if you find yourself in a congregation with unfaithful leaders who are abusing the power that God has given them within the church, who are, who are leading people astray from the gospel of Jesus, and, and your pursuit of seeing those errors corrected has been met with resistance or hostility or negligence, then find a congregation with faithful leaders. I, I will say this, that, that our leaders at Sojourn Mantras aren't perfect. We're just not. We don't claim to be. In fact, in the past two weeks, I've had personal conversations with members about mistakes I and the elders have made as it relates to our leadership specifically. And I can assure you that we get things wrong. And, but when we get things wrong, we are still working hard to the end of this congregation, experiencing the love and the grace of God, experiencing fruitfulness in ministry, experiencing the blessings of our life together. But, but that doesn't mean that, that we are perfect. I know that your pastors and your parish leaders are working hard for you. I know that, that they care about you. We really do care. We really do want you to know that we want to know how to be better. But please don't expect that we will be faultless. If you're part of any church and you demand perfection of your leaders, then you will likely never enjoy the blessing of belonging to God's family within the church in the ways that he has called you to, in the ways that he's invited you to. In fact, you will probably spend way too much of your life bouncing in disgruntlement from one congregation to the next, constantly blaming pastors and leaders for for not meeting your expectations. And every time you get to the next congregation, the same problem will be there because you will be there. Because everywhere you go, there you are. If you require perfection... Or, or, or something close to it in order for people in your life, whether they're leaders, whether they're family members, whether they're friends, whether they're your spouse, if you expect that in order to receive your respect or in order for you to honor them or to think highly of them, then you are the one in the wrong, not them. You've missed the point of, of Christian love, of brotherly love. You're hurting yourself. You're missing out on the opportunity for meaningful relationships. God invites us to respect and honor one another because it is good for us to respect and honor one another. Not so much because it is good for us to be respected and honored, but because it does something good for our souls to choose humility and respect and honor others. Your leaders don't need their ego stroked. I can assure you of that. We don't need that. We often need the opposite of that. But honoring and respecting leaders doesn't mean complimenting them at every turn. It means responding to their leadership, listening to instruction with humility and a desire to follow. It means trusting a process that may not make sense to you or that you would have chosen to do differently because that is the role for the moment that God has given you within the context of this community or whatever community it is that you belong to. Let's keep reading it into the second section of the text. It says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. 
Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So let's just say that, that you have no problem respecting your leaders or, or, or your, your elders, your parish leaders. You value the work they do. You see that they care. You receive their exhortations with an abundance of grace and humility when they call you to a higher standard. But what about people in the community that seem to have less to offer you? Here we're introduced to three categories of people, the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak, and three dispositions or responses to these people, admonishment, encouragement, and help. And so when Paul refers to the idle, the word here is actually pretty difficult to translate. It comes across as just meaning lazy, but that's not really what the Greek word entails. It entails those who are unruly those who are out of order, those who haven't gotten in line. Paul is calling us to admonish those who are not doing what they are supposed to be doing or who are doing the things they are not supposed to be doing. Admonish the idle as in in the lazy, sure, but also those who aren't respecting their leaders, those who aren't being generous, those who aren't practicing hospitality, those who aren't loving their families well, those who aren't taking their sins seriously, admonish those who aren't taking their spiritual health seriously, those who aren't loving toward others. Here, Paul makes it clear that it is not only the the pastors and deacons of a church who are responsible for discipline and admonishment. It is actually the duty of every Christian in every congregation to take responsibility for his brothers and sisters, for her brothers and sisters, such that when they see them out of step with the thing God has called them to, that they would participate in the ministry of admonishment. It is a brotherly and sisterly duty to admonish one another when we see each other out of step with the gospel and the call of the Christian life. We're called to be accountable to one another. And there is no accountability, not real accountability, if we don't have the courage, the love, and the gospel fluency to guide us into loving admonishment of our brothers and sisters. Paul goes on to talk about the faint-hearted He describes the faint-hearted as those who we should encourage, but faint-hearted is another word that's kind of nebulous. It's hard for us to understand. Uh, So this refers to those who are down, those who are lowly, those who are crushed in spirit. The translation is literally those who have small spirits. These are those who are mourning, those who are discouraged, those who are depressed. Encourage them. Encourage them. What Paul is saying is that the church should always be a safe place to people who are struggling. The church should always be a safe place to people who are struggling. You are allowed to struggle at Sojourn Montrose. You are allowed to be anxious and depressed at Sojourn Montrose. You're allowed to despair and to mourn, to have a small spirit. But just know we will encourage you. We will encourage you. If you're faint-hearted, make it known to your brothers and sisters in your parish. Make it known to your pastors. We would love to come alongside you. And if you know someone in in the congregation, if you know a Christian brother or sister who is faint-hearted, it is your duty and obligation to encourage them, to preach good news to them, to pray for them, to console them, to be a shoulder for them to cry on, a faithful friend to them in uncertain times, someone who is quick to remind them of the hope they have 
have in Christ, or maybe someone who's willing to just sit with them as they weep and as they complain and as they struggle in the silent confidence of friendship. We are to encourage the faint-hearted. Paul goes on to say, help the weak. The weak here is another really general term. Weak could mean weak in spirit. It could mean weak in, in faith. It could mean physically weak and sick. It could be mentally weak. But in general, the, those who are weak are those who need help. And Paul says, help those who need help. There's, the church should be a safe harbor and a supportive family to all people in need of all sorts of help because we should have willing brothers and sisters who say, I- I'm going to help you. You have a need. Let me meet it. Now, all of these things, in theory, are things that, that many of us are probably jumping at the opportunity for. Right? We'd love to be a faithful friend. We'd love to help someone out who needs it. We would love to, to tell our brother the, the things that, that we think Christ has called them to. The, these are things that we might get excited about, but the reality of daily life in the church is that these types of people, the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak, can be difficult relationally. The unruly, the idle, the insubordinate, the disobedient, these are hard people to love. Being an encouraging friend to the faint-hearted is often exhausting, burdensome, time-consuming, energy-consuming. Being helpful to the weak requires sacrifice, and it is easy for those who are strong to begin to look down on those who are weak and start blaming the weak for being weak and being frustrated with the weak for being weak. And yet, God calls us to lean in, admonish, encourage, and help. And he follows this, Paul follows this with saying, be patient with all of them. Why? Because he knows that you'll be tempted to give up on your brothers and sisters. You'll be tempted to be unavailable even when you're actually available. You'll be tempted to think that there's no more of yourself or your life or your home to give. You'll be tempted to make excuses. You'll be tempted to be impatient. You'll be tempted to blame your brother and sister, to harbor resentment toward your brother or sister. But we are called toward patience with one another. Patience becomes the bedrock of true Christian brotherly love. Will you admonish your brother in Christ when he falls into the same old sin pattern he's been dealing with for years? Or will you give up on him? Will you be frustrated with him? Or will you admonish him? Show him what Christ has for him. Preach good news to him. Will you encourage your sister who is depressed for years on end with no sights of her spirits being lifted? Or or will you decide you're no help to her? That she hasn't chosen the healthy path for herself? Will you help the weak member in your parish over and over and over again at great cost to yourself without fail for years on end knowing that you will never get anything in return for it? We are called to patience in this ministry because without patience in this ministry, it isn't actually help. It isn't actually encouragement. The call is the call to be the body of Christ on earth. 
We talk about the church as the body of Christ, and I think sometimes we don't even imagine what that actually means, that we are the representation of Christ on earth, that we are called to be that to one another. And so our passage concludes with this broad exhortation against acting with vengeance. Do not repay evil with evil. Instead, seek to do good to one another and to all people. And so Paul here is trying to give us the most basic Christian ethic. This is straight from Jesus' golden rule, that, that we would treat people the way that we would want to be treated, that we would love our neighbor. Our lives and our disposition toward all of our relationships should be a simple desire to do good to all people. It is good to admonish the idle. It is good to encourage the discouraged. It is good to help those who are weak. And so this is love applied that we would do good to others where there is an opportunity to do good to a brother or sister, you are called to do it. It's not just extra credit. It's actually the call of the Christian life to do good to one another. And we should do this knowing that at some point, you too will be unruly and need admonishment. You too will be discouraged and need encouragement. You too will be found weak and need help. And so you will need your brothers and sisters to support you in that hour. And so you are called to show them that sort of love in this hour. Paul has written this whole letter to the church about the implications of the gospel, the promises that we have in Jesus, the expectation of his coming. And his concluding passage begins with today's verses, which can be summarized as lean into people and into the church. So he just got done telling us about how Christ is going to return and judge the wicked, how he's going to return and gather us to himself. And the first thing he tells us is, so lean into other people. The call is to meaningful church membership. Lives which make other people more important than ourselves. There's no context in the Bible for being a Christian and not being a committed member of a local church. It's just not a category in the Bible. Instead, the Christian people, according to the Bible, is a people who are bound together by nothing less and nothing more than the body and blood of Jesus, broken and shed for them, the resurrection of Jesus, which gives them new life, which makes them the, the family of God, though they were formerly strangers of one another and of God himself. So if you've been coming around for a while, I would encourage you to come to the next membership class we offer. Lean in to people and to the church. That'll be on September 10th. If you're considering belonging to another congregation, you've been visiting another congregation, you've been checking it out, I would encourage you to jump in and just start belonging there. Don't, don't be in two places at once. Just be in one place. Commit yourself to a community of faith. You don't have to be at Sojourn Montrose to be faithful to this text. If you're visiting from out of town and, and you've been maybe hopping around churches where, where you're from, maybe you've been visiting some different churches, just pick one and stick because God's design for making us more like Jesus is to have us commit to sinful people and to give ourselves to them day after day when they have nothing to give us in return because that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. 
Jesus' ministry is one of giving of himself to a sinful people who have nothing to give him in return day after day so that they would experience the love, grace, and blessings of God from heaven. All of us were idle and insubordinate to God's will, and Christ has come to admonish us and call us back to the things of God. All of us have been faint-hearted, small in spirit, broken and bent, and Christ has died and rose again so that we might be encouraged, made whole, and filled with the fullness of God's love and heavenly blessings. All of us are weak, weak to do the will of God, weak to obey him according to the standards he has set for us, weak to to love one another, to have faith constantly, and yet Christ day after day provides his spirit to us that we might be made strong in light of our weakness. Christ is our help for all time. And in him we belong. And so let us always allow those who are in need of Christ to belong among us. What if the simplicity of the Christian life, of being Christ-like, was just giving ourselves to other people at the cost of only ourselves? Hear this from Romans 5. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Skipping ahead, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so God has called us to a life together which models this gospel in every way. We have peace with God through Christ who came for us when we were weak and sinful and gave himself to us. And so now we can have peace with one another and with him as well through his ministry. Church, the life of giving yourself to one another, to admonishing the idle, to encouraging the faint-hearted, to helping the weak, this is the good life of the kingdom of heaven. It's the good life of following the greatest man, the eternal Savior, the God of the universe, in the very path that he has shown us to walk in. The life of giving ourselves to each other in meaningful commitment to the Lord and his bride is God's desire for us. And it also happens to be his plan for redeeming the world. When we live into respecting our leaders, holding one another accountable, loving each other and supporting each other in hard times and through weaknesses, we bear witness to the grace of God in Christ to one another and to our neighbors. We show the world around us a better way. When we refuse to seek vengeance and and instead do good to others, we are pointing to the forgiveness and grace that God bought for us through the blood of Christ. When we seek to do good to one another, we paint a picture of God's love for his people and the power of resurrection, which makes dead, inanimate, and worthless things live and full of God's beauty. So let's commit to that sort of life together and take steps toward being more Christ-like, being patient with one another, always doing good to one another. Let us do this not for ourselves, but for those sitting around us and for God's glory. Let's pray.